Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. What up, Bradley? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Good. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? Are, it's getting chilly out. Yeah, just it is getting chilly, but it's in, it's nice out though. It's nice. This I is mean, good. I love the this autumn. This is the best New York weather. I love leather. Love the weather. Yeah, that's what we used to call it. Leather yeah, weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sweater weather. All that. Now it's just hoodie weather. Yeah. I'm so now, slack. do you know the kids call uh, sweatshirts sweaters? Did you know that? Like, we, you got sweaters. I heard that, and I didn't realize what I was hearing. Yes. They call sweatshirts, hoodies, zippies, pullovers, sweaters. They're not sweaters. What about sweaters? What do they call a sweater? A swa. It's funny, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, truth be told. It's a knit. It's knit. It's knitwear. They're both knitwear. But if you think about it, a fucking hoodie... Is a sweater. It is. It's a, it's a fine gauge sweater. Sweatshirts. This it's material was originally fine, made a, for athletics. Right, but to sweaters were right. It was. It's to sweat in. Right. That's and why then, it's called a sweatshirt. And we call these like we call wool sweaters. We call them sweaters. What? It's wrong. It's all backward. The kids have it right. The kids are correcting language. So are your sweatpants sweaters too? Yes. Because right. It's like oh, I like your sweaters. Like your sweater pants. <laughs> Sweater pants. Oh, that's cute. I was in the fucking bagel place. Uh-huh. The Bialy place, I should say. Mm. Near me. My favorite, Bialy's. And there was a guy in there with sweater pants. I actually Instagrammed Are you talking about Kosars? You know, I never Are you shout, shout out to Kosars? Kosars. Oh, shout right, out to right. Kosars. Uh-huh. New and improved, speaking of 2.0. Uh-huh. Uh, Kosars is great. On Grand Street, get a Bialy. If you've never had a Bialy, get a fucking Bialy. They ha- also have everything Bialy's there. Yeah, it's Lower East Side staple. Just get it's the been standard, there like a, almost a hundred years. Get with uh-huh. garlic. That's yeah, the, the standard bialy is delicious, but um, they have like some like jazzed up ones. I'm into it. But there was a guy in there with sweater pants. Really? Yeah, I actually took a picture of it. I think like, I Instagram. Did you say I like your knitwear? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I like your knitwear. <laughs> um, knits are where it's at, man. So that's what we call them, knits. Knit. There's they're knits gonna and woven. If they're gonna call, if they're gonna call hoodies sweaters, uh-huh. then what are we gonna call a wool sweater? Swa- a woolly. A wool. A woolly. Woolly. That's a good. Mom, I gotta put my woolly on. It's cold out. My chunky, my chunk knit sweater. What do you call those big? Like, isn't there a name for the big like um, semen like fucking sweaters? What do you call those things? Fisherman like, sweaters. Yeah, isn't there a separate name for that? Fisherman sweaters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are so. Ooh, I would love a fisherman sweater right now, but not an itchy one. And a bowl of chowder, totally with a bialy. <laughs> Where can I good. get that? That'd I know really I need good. a one-stop shop. <laughs> Everything is like cream mm. beige color. <laughs> like they, they have food, they have sweaters. You know, Kosars like, does. They have soup now sometimes, and I think they've had chowder when I've been in there. Oh. Yeah, they're going not full serve, but fuller serve. Yeah, that's wild. Mm. Chowder. It's not very Jewish of them. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe it was just like a potato soup or something. But I feel like they had something like that. They mm. definitely have soup sometimes. Where can you get a good chowder in Manhattan? Where not a Manhattan chowder. Chow- no, 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 New, New England, New England chowder. New England clip. You can get them in uh, City Island in the in oh, the seafood I bet restaurants. You can. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, it's not like you know you're in, in New England. Maine or something, <laughs> but it's it's all right. You put a lot of black pepper in it. Mm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's good. All right. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So today's guest, he's a chowder man. <laughs> totally. <laughs> we went out for chowder right after this um, podcast. <laughs> no, today's guest is a very interesting person and really is someone that I admire so much. Oh, you should. And anybody after you hear this podcast, you're going to admire him too. Cause I mean, he has done some of the most, um, I think, important modern logo design in the last you know, 30 years. Yeah. And stuff like you didn't even realize he did, he did. But he's also somebody that really is looking to bring people up with him. He's not just all about himself or uh, he really wants to elevate the culture. And that's one of the reasons I really love him so much besides all of his art prowess and his design accomplishments. Yeah, He's, it's pretty amazing. There's only so many, you know, jobs. There's only so much money. And um, that really doesn't affect Say's ability to be giving and, um, you know, pointing light in other directions. Right. And I and just love that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't look back. He's kind of like... He just keeps on going, yeah, right? He doesn't. He's like, whatever. But, I mean, he really, um, he's a real powerhouse. Now, this is a good, this is a good show. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. You want to? Or yeah. You don't want to talk some more about? About what? <laughs> let's Chowder. <laughs> let's listen to Say Talk. Let's listen. We're just going to just do it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see just how much you know about me. You know, it's funny where where I think that I actually know so much, and mm-hmm. then yet every day I learn more. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like an, endle- an endless in the process of doing research for a doc about my career, uh-huh. and I'm learning a lot just doing the research because you sort of forget how long the journey has been. Right, because you're in it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you're not paying as much attention the way other people are. At least, you know, I'm not. (laughs) Right, a job's a job, and when it's done, it's done. You don't really, like, think back on that. But, you know, now it's sort of frightening when I do the math on how long I've known some people. Yeah, you old, yo. Long time. Guys are fucking old. Long time. But I, I thank goodness they're not all graffiti writers. Um, <laughs> I know. Jesus. What a bunch of bores. Class thinking the same thing. For, for real. For real. I'm trying to also um, not interview like so many graffiti writers. But you span, you span so many different. Oh, yeah. You know, the, it's the, a, the strange the cross- thing is that. The crossover is unbelievable. My, my career is not even about graffiti. It's like that was when I was a teenager. Right. It's been a long time. 
<laughs> but it is an, inter- an interesting thought that I, I've i been thinking about is how many different graffiti writers have sort of put themselves in these professional roles that graffiti has sort of informed the culture in but a you know larger what? way. What's really fascinating is that it's not as many as you would think if you consider how many people wrote graffiti and how many people didn't figure out the formula for real life. And, and well, it's interesting you say that because I listened like. to you on um, on a podcast talking about <laughs> um, the people you came up with yeah. and, and, you know, the sort of typical yet extraordinary list yeah. of, yeah. of successes, yeah. days, yeah. crash, lay. But, but it's the same people that were getting attention in the 80s. That's the difference. Right. Think about it. Like, there haven't been a lot of new names added to that that were their contemporaries. So no, no, no. It's just that. That's it's, the point. Right. It's, like, those people that broke out then are the people that are success now. It's not like they were adding new names of people that were you know, part of that original class of, you know, the 80s or, or 70s. Well, let, Are we officially get, rolling? Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's start the show. Let's start the show officially. Hi, everybody. Um, what do we call this neighborhood? Um, Chinatown. I would or canal. I just call it canal. You don't call it canal. Triho <laughs> or Tribeca in oh, well. Soho. It's like about having or a it's. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm too old for that or now. Tribeca. <laughs> We're here with somebody that I have looked up to, and Brad, even Brad knows about, say Adams, (laughs) Jesus. Come on. Um, And I'm so happy to have you on the show because you are um, a true inspiration on so many levels. Let's let's just talk about, let's talk about a young, a young say. Is that your real name? No, my, my, um... First name is Isaac, and my middle name is Cedric, and my last name is Adams. Say it's my graffiti name. Okay. Yeah. For some and reason, I just on the Adams when I started making fine art as a way of you know like lengthening it because say is just three letters and and 99% of the time people mispronounce it so by having the Adams on there I figured at least they'd get one of the names right so what does say mean and uh, why uh, did you choose say I you know I when I was writing graffiti I wanted a name that was short that was quick easy to put up um, I wanted a series of letters that no one had at that time. And thank goodness, in my lifetime, I've never seen anybody else with those same three letters. So I've never had to share my name or okay. to add a, a number behind it, even though number one. I mean, obviously number one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's the idea. And so... It just stuck. And then, you know, my parents started calling me, say, and, and obviously all of my friends. And then so much time passed that people sort of just didn't even realize it. But, you know, I never thought it made sense to, you know, change it legally because, you know, yeah, why? If you're using it. Does anyone it, call legal. you Isaac? No, no, nobody. Most people don't even know that that's my name. I, You know, when I was much younger, I didn't even like it. But now I've sort of embraced it because it, it's, it's... It's a very old name. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a biblical. It's a biblical name. Believe me, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Isaac, oh. 
Right, right. <laughs> I have a connection with your people. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so you just pick. Se- it's it's very remarkable to me that a lot of graffiti writers pick these names that they're not sort of so invested in. They just like the letters, and it's just easy. And they're like, okay, I'm gonna just. Roll with this. Well, there was a baseball player named Ron Say, and he spelled it C-E-Y. And I just thought that that was cool because it was somebody's last name. And and so that was the, the inspiration. That and I needed something that was short. And so that was always your name? Did you have other graffiti names? No, never had another graffiti just name. I, I stuck had, with it? You didn't have I had like, those like little aliases that people have, you know, when you need a longer name to do something more impressive. But... You know, nobody now knows that. You'd have to talk to people from, you know, the 70s or early 80s that know that. But, you know. So when did you first start noticing um, graffiti? I would say the early 70s when I was growing up in Jamaica, Queens, and I would see tags um, around my neighborhood. And and. Being an artist since birth, really, I was always attracted to calligraphy and letter forms. So the minute I saw scrawling on walls, it just it sort of caught my eye. So how old were you when you first started writing? Um, 14, somewhere in there. And were you just, just sort of like in the neighborhood? Yeah, or were yeah. you, Or did you have like high hopes of... Well... Th- you know, in Queens, everything was about the buses. And so people, the guys that I went to um, junior high school with were bombing buses. And and some of them obviously hit trains, but that was too much for me to comprehend in junior high school. So I just focused on the, the buses. And it was mostly magic markers and, and things and like that. And was it while you were riding the bus? Or yeah, did you yeah. go to like the you bus know, yard at night? The, well, that too. But it, it initially was riding home on the, the the bus from school and you take a tag and then you get off and then you get on the next bus and you take a tag and you get off. You know, so you might do this for two hours and, and hit five buses, whereas if you went to the bus yard, you could really do some wholesale you know, damage. Man. <laughs> yeah. But I was never invested in it passionately back then, but I had friends that were and I sort of just watch them mostly I, I was more of a fan than a participant at that point right and you but you were always an artist always way and, before i knew anything about graffiti I, w- I was painting and drawing and things right and so you always knew that that was sort of the lane that you were i've just always been an artist like i never had an idea in my head about being a fireman a policeman a, a, a janitor a doctor a lawyer nothing Always an artist. Damn. These janitors, really, they just don't get the love that they should. No more. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're like scrolling on buses. You're taking the long route home. You're getting up a little bit. When did you sort of like transition from scrolling to actually painting? Well, it, it it was a, a a few years later, about seventy five, seventy six, when I I started learning how to use spray paint, and, and really, you know, it, it, it's funny because the other day I was at 
uh, Rooftop Legends. And as you know, it, it's a, an amazing cast of characters and everybody is there. And I see Part and I just, I look at him and I just, I've always looked up to him, even though he sort of doesn't know that. And I just thought to myself, man, what it must be like for him to see this culture evolve in such a beautiful way. And I thought, man, I was studying this guy when I was a teenager, and now he is right in front of me, and I call him a friend. And he's still so amazing. And he was one of the guys when I was a teenager. I was studying his letter forms, and that was the thing that informed who I wanted to be as it related to graffiti and wild style and all of it. Well, it's interesting with part when, when I was coming up, everybody was like, Oh my God, part, 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 part. And it's crazy to me that like the, you know, he's not a household name or he's not a name that is sort of dropped with these other sort of typical people that we were talking about before. Um, but you know what he is such is? like a style, like he just like I've a blue, blueprint I've thought of about this. How people paint now. I've thought about this. Okay. You know why? Because he's Robert Johnson to, you know, graffiti. And, and, you know, for the listeners that, you know, don't know Robert Johnson is a legendary blues man. He is the pioneer and that's who Part is. He's the architect. He's the one that showed everybody the way, along with people like Phase Two. And, and so what happens is your name is in that iconic short list when people go back that know their history. But if you don't know your history, you know, you start in the 80s. You start in the 90s. Right. You look at the guys from Europe. Um, and, and that's why his name isn't in that group sometimes because, you know, people are idiots. They don't know that he's the greatest. Yeah. They don't. Well, maybe they will now. <laughs> um, you also have mentioned to me, and I've heard in other interviews, that you were really obsessed with this writer named Jester. He's my favorite. You know, the thing about Jester is when I was coming up, you had to have a tag style. And, you know, if you were lucky, you had a lowercase version and an uppercase version. So you, you had to master two different styles. And that Why was before was that? you did any sort of letter forms. It was just the way it was. I, I, You know, I don't know. I just know that everybody that I loved had a lowercase version of their tag and they had an uppercase version. And the uppercase version was much more detailed. And Jester was that guy. He just had the most beautiful tag I had ever seen. And I knew that in the 70s. And... He was always the benchmark for me. But I didn't have that kind of name that stretched in that way where you could do dynamic things with it. It was sort of, you know, very, you know, Tight. Compact. It was like a, t right, right. And that's why I love what Jester did. And so growing up, he was always, to me, sort of the benchmark of, of what was beautiful about graffiti lettering. But he also sort of 
invented like bubble let right like what is now like the throw up kind of well like is the whiz and in he was one of those guys that just got out there and he did work he was everywhere so he definitely deserves that credit because he did work okay so now you're in high school you're starting to paint you're painting trains that say city train is in the top five greatest trains. You're like number one. <laughs> I'm not going to even. Don't you think? To, is that no, not your no, greatest no, no. train? Well, you know, I don't, was, I don't. It's hard to right When you do so much work, it's hard to say what's your favorite. Well, more importantly, I don't think of any of the train stuff that I did as important. I think about other people. I think about what Dondi did and I think about what Lee did and I think about what Part did. Um, folks like that, Blade. You know, I, I just think that I was fortunate enough to even be able to do anything, but I, I never think of the stuff that I did on trains as being that meaningful. Well, like a big, chunky train that says, say, say I mean... I, you know, I, I, I hear you and I understand, but... I I like what other folks did much, much more than my own stuff. But truthfully, th- let's talk about this for a second, because this is a huge part of who you are, is giving props to other people, putting other people on, like shining light on people that don't um, get the attention they deserve. I learned from B.B. King. You're no, but you're. Uh, but you know, when I was doing my my research on you, and I was looking about your first book that you put out, that yeah. I'm I'm in your book, and it was all about other people instead yeah. of sort of. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that. And now you're working on a book about yourself. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about the culture is that there's so many people that don't get any love, like. Buddy Esquire and FDT 56 and Jester. And I think that it's important to remind folks that these people paved the way for a lot of other people. And they, for whatever reason, don't get the attention that they deserve. And and it doesn't cost me anything to shine a light on somebody else. No, it doesn't. And I honestly, I wish more people would do it, but... Some people just don't have the capacity to do it. And then other people are just selfish. Right. That's it. So I, I just, I, I love doing that because it sort of reminds people of who came first. And, you know, these people deserve, if nothing else, credit. You're painting graffiti. You're painting trains. What else are you doing at this time? Or you- uh, Well, I was um, painting storefront gates, roll-down gates, um little local businesses, and that was how I made money. Once I, I developed a little bit of a style and, and I sort of realized that the my train career had a shelf life that was really short. I wasn't going to ever be king of all lines and all of that, and I wasn't going to do these monstrous blockbusters like some of these other folks that were really dedicated. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to fine-tune my craft, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to turn this into something profitable. And I started painting, you know, anything that 
you know, needed a sign or a logo. And you were big on the bar mitzvah circuit. <laughs> that too. And and it really was a lot of fun because what I realized is that I had a lane all to myself because a lot of people just couldn't crack the code when it came to negotiating um, with a, a, you know, a, a small business owner, even for a couple of hundred bucks. I mean, you know, back in the late 70s and early 80s, that was huge. So sure. That was one of the things that I did. And I, I had some folks that were working with me that were, you know, a part of my, my little crew. And we just got out there and we had some fun doing it. And so you're hanging out downtown. You're friends with the Beasties. And now you're sort of helping mold their whole visual identity. Well, you know, it, it was funny. Um, Growing up in Jamaica, Queens, I was listening to college radio, and so I sort of knew that the action was not, you know, solely in, in Queens. And I knew I had to go downtown because that's where the action was. That was where all the clubs were. That was where everybody that was going to be able to. You do weren't coming into the city career. with your family. Well, yeah, but well, like, yeah, you know, but it's not like you're, you're yeah, you're like, come on, Dad, <laughs> or you're going to a business appointment with your folks, right? But I, I couldn't do anything by myself. So by the time I became a teenager, you know, I was wild to get to experience some of these things that I just heard about on you know TV and on the radio, and so when. I came downtown, it was like, this is where I need to be. And to be honest, I never wanted to go back. Once I, I got to the, the village and the Lower East Side, I was like, it happens this is to all it. of us. It this happens to it. all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so I meet those guys, the, the Beastie Boys, and I knew I said, this is my tribe, this is my crew. And I, I just absorbed it full on my my parents you know wondered what had happened to me and this was back when you would go out and you'd be gone for three or four days and you know you didn't even think about checking in i would call the house sometimes and just tell my little brother tell mom and dad i'm alive and <laughs> hang up the phone before somebody tried to get me on the phone because i knew if i wasn't dead or in trouble on the streets when i got home Oh, you were dead in trouble. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I was definitely going to be dead. <laughs> so, you saw, uh, you saw the genius in this, and you said, let me develop your low... Like, how did this come... Like, where did the business acumen... There, there wasn't that much thought in it. It was more like they asked me to do some design work and I was excited about doing it because I had never done anything um, music related up to that point. And like, what was the going rate? Like, what were you charging for <laughs> oh, shit then? It, it, like, it, it wasn't a lot. It definitely wasn't a lot. Um, but back then it, it felt like it. And even then, I was going to say, it almost seems like incredible that you got any money at all yeah. because like yeah. back yeah. When I would do stuff for my friends and bands, like I couldn't ask for money. I would just yeah. be like, just buy some paint and a sheet. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I had a, a, a payment plan and right. you could pay in installments. Right. And, and then people <laughs> couldn't say no. So it was good. That's a good idea. 
Um, so after that, then you met the powers that be at Def Jam. You know what? It really. I'm trying really, to like create this like timeline so, of so like th- how. This is 1983, I think, when I meet the Beastie Boys and I meet Russell Simmons. And Russell has a management company at this time. And, and you know, and this is where things are sort of separate but together. So my graffiti career is phasing out. A lot of folks are going to Europe. They're starting to establish themselves in other places because the So scene... are you jumping into this gallery scene? No. Okay. I you know, I did have a a representative um Joyce Tobin and Mel Newlander from Graffiti Above Ground uh, slash GPI <laughs> um Graffiti Productions they were representing me and Crash and Days and Pink and a bunch of others. Um, and they were representing me. And so I was doing that and it was lucrative and it was fun, but I just felt like eventually the scene was going to go left on me. And I just thought, you know what, I, I don't want to have to do this forever you know like forever was a long time back then but there was just something about it i didn't feel like i had enough control in in what i was doing and it wasn't fun for me anymore and so i decided that i i was going to work with uh russell and, and design for his his artists and so i was designing logos and and tour backdrops and t-shirts and you know, just doing anything graphic for all the bands that he managed. And it was a lot of work, but it was fun. And it was also a lane that I had all to myself. Nobody was doing what I was doing on that scale at that time because he managed everybody. And it was a lot of fun, and that's what I did. What was a typical day like back then oh, and did it, you have like assistance like how no, how it, could you possibly keep up with the mountains of work it, it was like the wild west back then you know um but while i was busy it was a much simpler time because you didn't have all the distractions the only way people could reach you is if they physically were in front of you you know, I had, you know, I didn't have a phone. My, you either call the office to get a hold of me or you call my parents' house in Queens. So it wasn't like I was being pulled in 10 different directions. But when I was working, I had nothing else to do. And so I spent all my time, you know, designing T-shirts and then I would send that out to um, Kinko's to get a copy made. Then I would go and I would paint a backdrop. I'd go down to Pearl Paint um, and buy canvas and materials and I would make something. But it was, you know, I was working really fast. You know, and when you're young, time means nothing. So I would sleep on the floor in the office just so I could wake up at 6 o'clock and keep doing what I was doing. Like, I never wanted to go home. right. I, w- I would sleep on people's sofas. Comfort meant absolutely nothing to me. The only thing I cared about was doing what I love to do. And if I could do that around the clock, that's what I would do. So are you proficient on the computer, on, like, you know, in the the Adobe arts? This is too early. <laughs> that, this no, is I too know, early. I know, because that's what I was going to ask. Because are you, st- because all of this stuff was done by hand. By hand, yeah. 
explain the process because I don't even think like young people can even like fathom. <laughs> so yeah, you're drawing, you're like photocopying, right. yeah. you're like yeah. retracing it. And then like it's a photograph of yeah. that. Yeah, but you know right. what I learned how to do you know, was I looked at what sign painters did and I had a buddy, uh, Michael Human. he's actually still my buddy, and he was a commercial illustrator and he taught me how to scale things up from a drawing and, and how to use a blue line and we would project the graphic onto a, a giant canvas. And I'm talking about you know, 50 feet long by 25 feet high. And back then, you know, people lived in these giant lofts, especially mm-hmm. um, back in, in the 80s. And they would have that kind of wall space. And I would go and I would get these giant tubes of canvas from Pearl Paint. And um, I would get my little brother to help me and we would bring it back on the subway. And, you know, I didn't have money to put it in a truck or have it shipped, and I couldn't wait. And we would just bring it back, and we would tack it up on the wall using nails, and then I would project the design onto the wall. And I didn't own a projector. I would have to borrow one and sketch it out. And, and you know, but, but that's where my graffiti training really came in handy because I understood scale from working on right. painting trains. And so I could do giant letter forms and things like that. And then I, I knew how to block things in using spray paint because I had that experience and that, that early training. Oh, the backdrop game. Bring it back. Bring it on back. <laughs> you never only you never see that anymore. They only like put um, you know, screens behind people and like yeah. and show uh well, slideshows. You know, they they there's they don't want to deal with, you know, the whole fire retardant issue. I, oh, I used my to God. have to you know, go to buy these chemicals and treat the uh, the backdrops. And so back then I was doing things for the um the Fresh Fest and the Fresh Fest was the first national hip hop tour. And it it had Run DMC and the Fat Boys and Houdini and a bunch of other bands on the bill. Um and the very first backdrop they got Keith Haring to do. And then I got to do the second one. Mm. And I just, you know, there were times that, you know, sometimes if I didn't have a wall, I would lay it down on the floor and take my shoes off and I would work on it this way and I would stand on the ladder and I would look down to get the perspective right. Ah. And it was like Twister. Right. But (laughs) with, with paint. Everybody's like, what's Twister? <laughs> oh, no, no. I Everybody knows what Twister is. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sure uh, Russell Simmons loved to play Twister back oh. in his office back in the day with some unsuspecting young ladies. <laughs> God damn, Russell Simmons. What the fuck, man? Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Closer to call, call everybody out. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. But... I mean, everybody did know back then, my, not, this is from me and not from Say, but when you were in the club back in those days, don't go fucking near that guy. Don't get in a car with that guy. It was just always a thing. And, you know, it's weird that we had to kind of like live with that and like be like, okay, like, you know, you had to like tell your friends to keep them safe. But if 
you didn't know anybody, like you could be in a really bad, precarious situation. And it's good that people talk about it now. That's what I think. Anyway, next subject. <laughs> um, so now you're a professional record company artist. You're making visual identities. You're making logos. Do you have like – how do you, how do you come up with a logo for an artist? Are you listening to their music and like immersing yourself sure. in there? Yeah. Are you talking to them about like what they like? Yeah. How like you, what you is your to. what like, is your formula the, for that? The process is always to do research first and foremost. And if you're lucky enough to have the artist in front of you and you're vibing with them, you you think about the aesthetics that relate to the music and their personality. And that was one of the things that I learned about doing traditional graphic design is that you, you study your subject. You you don't go at it cold. And I would listen to the music. And a lot of these people I knew because we were hanging out together during the early years um, at Rush Management and Def Jam. And so I knew who they were inside and out. And so I, I understood who they were and and it was it made it much easier to create something that was specific for each artist um but i always try to keep a, a a raw sensibility to what i'm doing and and that was the thing that i think first and foremost was important to me is that if i was working on a design it was you know closely identified with who they were and where they came from and i think that also translated to the audience. They could always tell when something wasn't real. And if you ever look at people that tried to mimic graffiti or street art in, in commercial advertising. Oh, yeah, it looks crazy. It always looks fake, you know, on those KTEL records. Totally. Where, it, 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 you know, it's an airbrush brick wall and the graffiti is done in airbrush, but they're trying to make it look like spray paint. And now those things, you know, strangely enough are cool. Yeah. Because... It's ironic. The, I want to find the guy, the people that did that. Yeah. Right? It, it they were like, we, we don't need to hire anybody. Time. Let's just do it. It's yeah. easy. <laughs> Like. Yeah, <laughs> and that was one of my favorite things. You know, I say that now. At the time, it really made me angry because I thought they were taking. Sure, they were know, stealing the culture. It was work. culture vulture. Sure, hired you for totally yeah. less yeah. than they paid that goddamn graphic yeah. artist, man. Yeah, but the reality is, you know, when you're young, you don't know that. All you can do is be outraged. But now I look back on it and I think, you know, they did us a favor because. It reminds people of what authentic really looks like. And you can put those things together side by side and say, this is the fake, this is the fraud, this is a genuine article. And now people want to seek out that original genuine article. So now when you're doing logos, are you still kind of going, are you doing pen to paper and then going on the computer? Yeah. Or are well, you? Well, I will admit that there was a lot of years when I, I had gotten so good at designing on a computer that I would just go cold and I would think on the computer and I would use that as a way to do my sketches and, sure. and all the preliminary design work. I would just do it straight on the computer. But the problem was 
you don't have that research material to show people later on. And, well, and, you do. It's just in some old computer that you threw away that you right. forgot. Right. You, for, you can't print every, you can't put like, your hands I, on I it. Agree. Let's put it this way. And you can't hang it up and, and, and use it in a retrospective to show people your, your historic progress. And, and so I got tired of doing that. And I said, I'm going back to the, the origins of where I come from and I'm going to start making things by hand again. And so I started sketching out concepts the way I used to. And it was a lot of fun because it, it sort of reminded me that you need to get your hands dirty in order to create something great. It, it's got to have that human experience. You You just can't look into a monitor those things are tools the same way a pencil is a tool and once i realized that i decided that that was what i was going to do going forward and i was never going to just think on the computer so how well it's good it's i mean it's a really good way to put it because you know so i do music and and he does art he's also a great graphic designer Right, by the but, way. But music it happens that you know obviously some people get inspired by the computer but i you realize that, yeah, you can't think in the computer, man. You got to right. like, you got to get it down. So I actually, well, long after I became really proficient making music on the computer, I went back and got like an old tape recorder, a handheld tape recorder, because I was like, I got to put it, down. I got to put the idea down first, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you know that if something's done on the computer, it can disappear just as fast as you created right. it. And I've made so many great designs and then made a mistake and then the thing was gone and then sure. I had to start from scratch again. And then you ultimately create something different, but in your head, you still see that visual, yeah. but you just can't, can't get back nail it. it. Right. Yeah. Demo love, baby. It's called demo love. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like you, you can get in there more with a pencil or something. There's something yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. like about it yeah. that you but can. What I'm talking about is, when speed takes over, you know, your creative process and you have all these album covers you have to design and all these logos and marketing materials and, and advertising and T-shirt designs and and you just think, I got to knock all this stuff out and you start moving at a much faster and, and strangely a much more productive rate, but the quality isn't there in well, the same way. Well, it's just, it's... You know, you're just kind of going through the motions in a way. Like, I got to get well, this well, job it's, done. It's, it's, it's not, more not... like you're a factory. Right, you're a so factory. So the work right. is... Because know, it's, it's like produced, finished work, right? It's yeah, not like yeah. you have to sit there shading it yeah. in. and But like... volume became a really important thing in the 90s when I was working at Def Jam. We had to move a lot of product and we had to make a lot of design. And I'm working with a huge team of designers and creatives but everybody was working at an insanely fast pace. And so process was something that everybody did individually. I'm just looking at volume and I'm thinking, look, all these designs have to be ready, approved and out the door in a couple of weeks. And I don't care how you do it. We got to get it done. And I became a creative paper pusher and a manager. And I was pushing my team to work faster and harder than I did when I was doing it all by myself. Right. Well, now you had a lot more responsibility and, you know, it becomes different when uh, 
you have to delegate it. It's business. It's it's business. And and, and the creative part of it. It is. It looks like it's front and center, but it's obviously second to the business. You know, you got printers waiting for you, messengers waiting to take things to the printer. Things have to be flown to other. So, countries. where are these T-shirts? Where where are? Do you archive these T-shirts or yeah. what? Well, luckily, there was a, a a young guy named DJ Ross. Oh, the the rap T-shirt. Book. Yeah, yeah. He made this book called Rap Tees. Yep, and. I, I found him, or rather he found me on Instagram. And I, I saw that he was posting these these vintage T-shirt designs, and I would just comment, I designed that, I designed that, I designed that. So after like the 20th one, he reached out to me, and he came to my studio, and he was like, I cannot believe you designed all of these things. And I says, that's what I did. I designed everything for everybody. <laughs> and he made a book. And that book is my portfolio That's wild. of T-shirt design. That is wild. Well, thank God it's not in your parents' basement somewhere. Like, <laughs> bagged in the, like all of my crap is. Like, I not, not even stuff I designed, but just junk. Um yeah, no, that's a gr- it's really a great book and it's incredible that how much work you yeah, did. Yeah. But that's the thing that's great about all of these younger folks that have been raised on the design work that myself and my my team have done over the years is that they're archiving our history and I never had time to do that while I was working. I never even thought about the future. Like, th- there was no such thing as the future in hip-hop. Like, if you got past your second record, that was a miracle. Right. Third record, unheard of. What's history? Yeah. Like, you know, and I, I'd heard Kel first say this, um, if you don't evolve, you dissolve. And I thought, wow, that's a really brilliant way of thinking about graffiti history is that you have to change with the times no matter how great you were in the past. And that was always what I was thinking. Like there was no such thing as going back. I was always moving forward and the past meant nothing to me. And so then all of a sudden you look up and 20 years have gone by and people are starting to talk about history and archiving. And I'm like, what's that? But now we're at that point where we realize everything that happened back then is important to inform young people in the future. Right. And, you know, sort of the foundations of the culture. But it's interesting because really, Stave, you and a couple other people, I've always felt like hip hop never really fully embraced graffiti, never really hired graffiti writers to work on album, except for you are the shot. You're like, Sorry, bitch. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is, this is Get one out of my, my way. It's just me. This is one of my favorite <laughs> subjects. And this sort of goes out to all of my friends that spend so much time and energy debating about what came first, the chicken or the egg. It, you know, is graffiti a part of hip hop? Absolutely, 100% yes. Does it predate hip hop? Absolutely, 100% yes. 
Why spend so much time arguing because with people I think people that don't. don't there are some people that completely do not identify with the hip hop lifestyle, and they write graffiti, and they just they're just some. There are some. I get it, but are you going to spend your whole life being angry every time somebody lumps graffiti in with hip hop? I'll tell you something. For years and years and years, I would say. No, it's not hip hop. It has nothing to do with it. And now in my old age, as I sit back, I it's like I owe everything to hip hop. And here's the thing. You know, it's like a weird thing. Like I was like, oh no, fuck you. You only paid me two hundred dollars to work on that video. Fuck that. I'm not doing that. I listen to rock. Like, right. Or whatever. But this is the thing. But but at the at the end of the day, it is about it's really sort of in a very important part of it, but the money, the hip, the hip hop money, never touched graffiti except for a few people. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing: hip hop is a table. Whether it's got four legs or five legs is irrelevant. It is a table with multiple legs. Breakdancing is a leg. Graffiti is a leg. DJ culture is a leg. Fashion's a leg. They're legs on a table, and the thing that became the most lucrative was the music, rap music. They just gave it a name because people had to distinguish it from rock and roll and pop and all of the sure. rest. Why spend the time arguing about that? That is a fact. That is a fact. It doesn't take anything away from graffiti. Graffiti is a part of art. The same way graffiti is a part of pop art. The same way you know it, it's a part of every other artistic movement. It's just youth culture during the 70s and 80s and 90s, period. Right. Strip away right. the labels. It, it's, it's youth culture made by young people for young people, the end. Well, it's urban. Yeah. It's but, urban youth culture. Right, but, right, but it's, it's so much. And it's, we're just talking you know, about so people. global well, and suburban. Right, right, right. And, and, and my right. point no. is True. all of that is clear. The the arguing part is like, you know, it's like breaking down, you know, rock and roll. You know, is it really worth the energy? I just think that a, 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 a lot of people, you know, they don't feel inclusive in the hip hop world. I get it. Right. And Look at so, me. Like, you don't think that I predate hip hop? Of course you do. You don't think that I predate you know, graffiti as an artist, but am I going to spend my adult life arguing about this stuff? Hell no. He's a am fucking dinosaur, this guy. angry <laughs> about it? And that's the point that I'm trying to make is that so many of my peers are angry about trying to make this point, but what they don't understand is that you are going to die trying to make that point and nobody's going to care. You, What you need to do is put on your shoes Get in the game and evolve and em embrace right. what you built and forget the labels. Like, just be thankful that you were one of the people that helped build this and you saw it to where it is now and take your rightful place at the table and stop being angry about people that don't understand the origins. I, I think, you know, a lot of people feel stepped over. A lot of people feel. Um, Let me ask you a question. And I'm I'm not I 
I'm not defending them. No, I'm no, just, no. But I'm, you know. I, let me ask you a question. When has big business ever gave a fuck about anybody? They don't. It's just Thank the bottom you. line. It's just Thank the bottom you. line. But I that's, agree. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, but we live in America. Big business doesn't give listen, a fuck about anybody are, but money. You understand all of the different aspects of what it is to be an artist, of, of the pure um, elation of creation, the financial gain of, of being uh, a working artist. A lot of these people never sort of matriculate into these other places in the art world. So they're stuck in their 15-year-old headspace of when they were the shit and they can't sort of move on from that. And they're grown-ass. High school quarterback. Right. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Track so, star. But graffiti you know? is filled with them. And yeah. the problem is, is the peak too young thing yeah, right and yeah. and that's the shame about graffiti is that you do it when you're young and sort of when you're older and you do it it's can seem a little pathetic <laughs> sorry Not a little yeah <laughs> it's sad yeah and um you know they can't get back to that same feeling so they're stuck and they're angry and they're pointing fingers and they're mad and they don't, you know, the attention's not um, the same. The reception from the public is not the same as right, it was. Right. And well, so they don't take they responsibility the right. for their their participation in their own development and growth. And, and the reality is that's the sad part about where we come from. It's It's a very dysfunctional group. Right. And while I love it, and it lives inside of me, and it always will. I, I have to keep a lot of that at a distance because you realize that there's a big world out there, and not everybody understands it, and they damn sure don't care. And the thing is, if, if you can't function in society, you're no good to anybody. You know, you, you're going to tell your kids about how great you were when you were younger than they are now. And they're like, I, I heard the story a million times, Dad, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is. I I, th I think there there a lot of people are stuck, and if, if they could sort of open their minds, open their hearts a little bit, that they would feel differently, and they would feel that they planted the seeds for what is now yeah, the yeah, you know the yeah. Garden of Eden of of, yeah. of this culture. Um, you know what what the younger generation can do is. Go back and, and do some research and, and, and think about who some of these people are. That they don't care. The they don't care. They don't care. They don't you want know, to do research. They just want visuals. Know, some some do, and those are the ones that will succeed. What are you talking about? Your kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. The, ki the ones that are thirsty for knowledge and yeah, really want to yeah. understand yeah. Um, the history of this stuff, yes. those And are also to a lot of the pioneers – you got to just start telling your own story because we, we live in a time now where you can tell your story and there are people out there that want to hear your story from you while you are still around. And there are universities that are booking people to talk about the, their history and their time in the culture, whether it's graffiti, hip-hop, street art, whatever it is. You know, forget the labels. Just... 
get out there and, and tell your story because there are people that want to hear it first person, not, you know, guy behind the guy behind the guy, girl behind the girl behind the girl. Tell your story because it's valuable to people that do care. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I want to get back, get back to logos again. Because it seems like... As Similar to me, and one of the reasons why I'm obsessed with you and you're one of my idols, is because you love all kinds of logos, not just your own, and that you're very, um, you're into those kind of like Fortune 500 uh, blue chip American logos that, you know, I have a son and when he was a baby, he could see the logos from a million miles away before he could read Dunkin' Donuts, Macy's, Starbucks, whatever it was when we were driving, obviously McDonald's. And, you know, they did these studies where they gave kids like delicious food and then they painted like a logo on like a rock and the kids chose the rock <laughs> that that they're so powerful <laughs> logos are so powerful because yeah. our brain learns symbols yeah. before you know we could like read letters like the yeah. s- the symbols and the patterns yeah. in is Pattern how our the, brain works the lion's face coming towards you totally yeah. right yeah. you like that is bad yeah. right <laughs> but that's where that comes from for me too being a kid seeing logos over and over and over and over again, that repetition beats in your head. It's why advertising is so powerful. To this day, I am fiercely brand loyal. If I find a product that hasn't failed me, I will buy it over and over and over and over again. Really, you're not looking for like a better price or I'm going to try it. Really, you're like that specific? I am brand loyal. You know, I am the Only men are brand loyal, by the way. Of what advertising is all about. Uh, You know, I'm a product of that, no pun intended. And um, that's why when I have been fortunate enough to work with brands like Levi's and Pabst Blue Ribbon... Um, I, I, I wear their products and I, I support their, their business camp, because, <laughs> you know, I've been supporting them for so many years and now, you know, they're finally they giving back to me. They better send you some free me. fucking jeans, man. Come on, man. <laughs> and 
Converse and, and a lot of these other brands. And, you know, when you're younger, you sort of don't understand the power of your dollar. But once you get to a certain age, you realize that, you know, you are what is helping to make them go. And if their creative team is smart enough to, to look at, you know, some of the cultural pioneers and say, this is somebody that we want to help represent our brand because they are the genuine article in the areas of visual art. That's a huge badge of honor, and it sort of validates all of the time and energy you put into your body of work. And it's a great feeling to have that come back, you know, all these years later. Right. But now you're working specifically on these very labor-intensive um I don't decoupage. How would you call? Well, how would you describe this? It's collage. It's collage. It's collage. Yeah. Um, and it seems so wild that you're just spend and I, I just take me through your process on like a large scale Betty Crocker. I I have a small Betty Crocker, say <laughs> original. Well, uh, you know, I'll talk about one of the things that I did. Um, uh, over the weekend, I was in Las Vegas with Run DMC and uh, JBL Audio, and I, I did a, a giant mural installation for the JBL Fest, and I did a huge Run DMC logo in, in this beautiful collage motif with, with uh, images and layered paper and, and texture and paint, and it was so much fun because it was really the, the evolution of my career. It was a full circle moment because I came up with Run DMC in the early 80s and JBL pairs me with Run DMC present day and I, I make this amazing piece of artwork that I spend over a month making. And, you know, with all the logistics of, you know, moving the art from city to city, and and you know, there's a huge crew, and they so came wait, into so wait, studio. what are you doing? You have a piece of paper, and you're cutting up p- other pieces of paper, and then you're coloring. I don't understand. Well, it's collage. It's <laughs> it's a lot of things. It's hand it's, tinting. Yeah, like I don't yeah. understand. But it's layering. It's texturing. You know, I use archival adhesives, and I I layered layers of glue and paper. Um, it's, it's visual storytelling. I mean, that's the way I think about it. And and it's all stream of consciousness. So while I might have um, a rough idea of what the logo is, because that's obviously familiar to everyone, how I'm going to realize it is something that I, I, I don't know until I, I finish doing it. And so it's a great thing to watch in a time-lapse video because I don't know what's going to happen and neither does the viewer. The only thing that you know is that when I'm done, it's going to be an exact replica of the thing that you're familiar with. Right. But the placement and and if if stuff is right, it's, it, it, all, it's all stream of consciousness. Like I, I find scraps of ephemera and, and magazines and books and newspapers and I, I piece all these things together until – I have something that looks like a replica of the band's logo. So let me ask you a question. Are you cutting up 
things and then putting them in a box that says black or are you cut are you only specifically cutting and clipping for a specific piece at the time I source things when I'm working on them so okay. I, I don't do it in advance I, I go through a pile of magazines if I'm looking for black and I tear out all the things that are black if I'm looking for tan I, I, I okay pull all of those things I, I, I work one color at a time Whenever I'm doing a piece, I never do it in advance because I want the experience of searching for something and that joy of finding it and then thinking this would look great, you know, here on the piece. And it's it's a strange way to work, but it's very much like the way people make music. You go into the studio and when something hits you, you respond to it in the moment. Okay. I want it to be a real organic experience. If you don't like it, you record over it with another piece. Right? Exactly, yeah. And that's the beauty of collage is that there is no way to make a mistake because all you have to do is put another piece of paper on top of it. Right. And where do you so, get all your magazines, man? Um, I, I scour the country. I, I, I travel to a lot of thrift stores when I'm uh, on the road doing lectures and, and when I'm painting murals and things, especially... In the, the the Midwest and in the South, there are still a lot of places where you can get good vintage magazines. Cheap. Very cheap. Right. Especially when you're coming and you're going to buy out all their inventory and then ship it back home. Yeah. It's expensive. It's worth Media it. mail. <laughs> Who knows? How many people know about media mail? I mean, you I better- was actually just told last week that... Uh, media mail is going to disappear soon i'm, I'm sure it will i'm it sure it will by now man because you can really shove some shit in there and say media <laughs> mail Woo! Mm-hmm. nice and nice and cheap yeah. yeah i mean i feel like the post office is really just in business because of amazon at this point and that if they you know pull their yeah, well. the rug out like uh, fedex is doing bad obviously ups like but they they would not be in business at all if it wasn't for Amazon. Oh, all online shopping, all big online shopping. Send a letter. Send a letter to somebody. <sighs> I I love the post office. So don't don't I say that every show? I love you. Stay open forever. <laughs> I really do. I love the post office. They have supported me in my work for the last thirty years. Sure, you got to <laughs> hang on until the uh, the claw money stamp comes That's out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be a tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, you know, priority mail label. Um, <laughs> so how how much do you enjoy, like, working on fine art versus working on sort of design, design work? Well, right now, I spend a lot of time, my time is split in sort of three parts. In the studio, making the fine art work that I make with uh, collage and then the the commercial work that I do with, with with brands and that could be, you know, most of the time that starts in the studio and then sometimes there's a little bit of it that takes place on the computer and then I combine the, the two. And then um, arts and education. I travel around the country and I lecture uh at a uh, university museum level and i talk to you know corporations about 
the art and aesthetic of uh, hip hop and design. Um, and that's what I do. I, I, I travel around and I, I, I talk to young people about the history of the culture and where we come from and sort of explain the origins of how we got here and all of the people that came along with me and before me. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to look back on your career and just know that people appreciate it. And and I hear a lot of great comments about, you know, the history because now everything that's old is new and people love talking about how inspirational all of these people are. And I get to be one of those people. Well, yeah. You have um, created some of the most memorable logos for the last, you know, 30 years. It's been a little while. It's been a, it's it's, been a little you know, while. And a lot of anniversaries coming around these days. Right. Every time you turn around, there's a new but, one. But, you know, not everybody's work is is celebrated in that way. And, you know, I'm sure there's... Tons of design work that you did for bands or companies that never did anything. You You're still right. got paid. You're you still right. did a good job, but nobody You're knows right. or cares. So this, yeah. you're lucky yeah. in in the respect that you have. Yeah, you know I, I the eye of of, that, of 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 knowing what's yeah. um, what's up. You I, know? I think a lot of that has to do with also being in New York. Um, you know, if you're in New York or L.A., those, those opportunities have the potential to be so much greater. And I think that's the one thing I, I feel really blessed about is growing up in New York during the 70s and 80s at a time when everybody was hungry and everybody was trying to figure out where they were going. And this was the Mecca. This is where people still come to make it. If you don't make it in New York, it doesn't mean anything. It's true. It is the epicenter of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that the, the work that we all did, not just myself, I, I think that that is the thing that informs people moving forward because everybody wants to be like the, the people that they idolized when they were much younger. And I just feel really fortunate that I got an opportunity to realize a lot of my dreams that I had when I was a teenager and a 20-something. Yeah, you're blessed. Indeed, indeed. Um, what do we have coming up? Wow. Well, one of the things I'm really excited about is a new coffee table book I am doing with the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of African American History and Culture. Yeah. And it is a 300-plus page coffee table book, a nine-CD box set, and it is easily— What do you mean a nine-CD box set? It's like a huge— A nine-CD box set. It's called the Smithsonian Anthology of Hip-Hop and Rap. Wow. And, Wait, you curated that? Uh, yeah. Along with a, a bunch of other folks like MC Light and Chuck D and Questlove and Ninth Wonder um, and, and so many other folks. But I am doing the design and art direction. And this is going to be the greatest, greatest hits collection ever assembled as it relates to hip hop music and 
art and design. And I had a, a great opportunity to include a lot of my friends in this book on the visual side, people like Crash and Days and your buddy uh, Wayne C.O.D. I love Wayne. And, and um, a bunch of other folks, in addition to uh, photographers like Jeanette Beckman and Danny Clinch and Michael Levine, um, people like Crazy Legs. You know, I, I get to really big up a lot of the pioneers of the culture, Martha Cooper, Henry Chalfant, all of these folks, in addition to all of the, the, the rap artists that I worked with, like Run DMC and Public Enemy, LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, you know, everybody's in this book. And for the Smithsonian to come to me and ask me to design this book is a dream come true. This is a legacy project. I mean, who are you going to call? Seriously. Who are you going to call, though? For real, though. Is it chronological, the, the CD set? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it starts in the 70s and it goes all the way up to present day. So do you listen to rap music? Um, what I listen to is uh, vintage. You know, I, I came up in the 80s. I love 80s and 90s hip-hop. Like, you know, not the, into, you're not into the, the young thug. that people are making today, they're not making it for me. They're making it for people that are their age. They're making it for my eight-year-old son. Yeah. I, and, yeah. And, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't, take anything away from the artists that are making music today, but I put in my time. Right. You know, I'm, I'm trying to learn more well, about... Do you think you... Do you feel like you aged out? Like of the... course. Are you kidding? I'm a grown man. Right. Are you kidding? The stuff that they're talking about, I have no interest in. I'm going back and researching jazz and blues and rock and roll and country and all of it like i can't wait to get into ken burns history of country music it's like gonna be good i put in my time yeah. in hip-hop and and while i love it and i appreciate it i don't have to identify with a 16 year old rapper but i will say I like uh, Little Nas X. You do? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not mad at that old country road. <laughs> I wasn't until it's a, my eight-year-old played it over and over and over. And but, over you know, it's over. a ripoff of this Little Tracy song that people don't know about, oh, which is called like, like, like a Farmer. And it really is like it's pure hip hop. Yeah, <laughs> come on. No, 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 but it was a yeah. No, I mean, it's, let them it settle is. that. I right, like right, song. right. But you know, shout out to Little Tracy for being an innovator. You know. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I th I think all genre crossing and inclusionary stuff is good, and I have found I have like a love hate relationship with hip hop where. I both love it and hate it. So I can I can love it. Um, like for instance, I'm like the number one Fifty Cent fan in the world. <laughs> Did you know that about me, everyone? I fucking love Fifty Cent, and I bump him all the time, especially when I'm feeling pissed. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get that motherfucker. Like, um, but then there are times when I listen to it and I can feel like very offended as a woman. I, I can understand that. <laughs> you know, my thing is, and, and believe me, I, I feel the same way as somebody that has been around the culture for the better part of 30 years. I think it's my responsibility to call out certain um, things when I see that they're not right and, and, and it's not, you know, the way that people should conduct themselves. You know, I, I, I say something, but... 
the reality is I put my energy in other places, but you know, I don't have time or energy for hate in my heart when it comes to this stuff because it's going to just continue to evolve in the way that it evolves. And I'd rather put my money and energy into causes that are supporting people that need help. And that's how I, I, I work out the checks and balances. I, I think that my 15-year-old self had a certain idea about where he was going. And I've just tried to always conduct my life with dignity and respect. And anybody that has known me over the years hopefully will say the same thing. But ideally, you know, hip-hop is a young person's game, period. It is. And as an adult, I'm doing adult things, and I sort of leave it right where it's at. Your frequent collaborator, Jeanette Beckman, I had her on the show uh, a while back, and I asked her, you know, since she was so sort of obsessed with youth culture, like, where is youth culture today? Because it seems like the kids today, they don't really have their own music, their own fashion. It's all retro. You know what I mean? Like, it's like we're yeah, living in this but very, you know, like... It's, it's peaks and valleys, right. and eventually it will come around Of again. course, of course. And we're just in that, that phase now where the 80s and 90s are back, and people are embracing it, and they're looking to that period for inspiration and it's fine. They'll figure it out and they'll move on and you know they'll 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 figure it out. And so I I think that it's it's a natural evolution and I'm just trying to figure out how to push my work forward and contend with these little motherfuckers because you know that's the other thing is that you know we as you know the elders sort of have to remind them that we still can hang. Right. And I, I I work very hard to let them know, you don't know anything. That's like, right. You just got here. Like, let, let me let me show you something. Yeah, daddy's here. Daddy's here. Anything that you think <laughs> you invented, I could point to the person that originated that. And, you know, go ask your parents. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing about being a kid, you know. You can't tell them anything. No. They just, Which, you, you know, know they live them. their own experience yeah. through. Uh, There's nothing more exciting than when my, my, my son comes to me and goes, Dad, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I bet. I'm, I'm waiting to hear that from my own son. <laughs> He's like, how do you know? That's what, right, uh, that's right. what my kid says to me, and he's yeah, like, "You gotta yeah. tell him I wrote the book that you're reading." Um, so <laughs> we're gonna look for this book. Yeah. You're also working on um, a more personal book as yeah, well, right? I, I, you know, I'm I'm at a point now where I'm trying to look back at my career and, and really just trying to figure out how I got here, and and all the people that I've touched and really just try to tell my story from my perspective with the help of my friends and see what people have to say. So, Well, we will keep in touch with Say Adams on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Say Adams. I'm on all of them. First name and last name is one word. And website, sayadams.com. Yep. All over Wikipedia, all over Google. You did also remember you when Google needed a hip hop 
design for they went to say. Right. So that CEY worked out for you with No, he wrote Google. He wrote Google. I'm saying with the domains and the Twitter handles, it worked out the way you wanted it. Yeah, it did. It did. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like Isaac Adams. You know, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) Isaac Adams was taken. Sorry. You know, I've been very fortunate to work with some really amazing corporate partners, and it's not lost on me. You know, it's been a long journey, but it's been great to witness the evolution and to know that we are finally at a place now where you can point back and go, you know, I was there. Not, you know, I heard it through the grapevine. You know, I was standing there. And that's a really cool thing. Well, yes, yes. And you should you should be very proud because you have really been a positive force, a creative force, and a very inspirational person to a lot of people. And kudos to you. Isaac. (laughs) 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 I learned something every day. I mean, you know, I... His um, feed popped up on my Instagram, and then I saw, like, the Mary J. Blige signature, which kind of weirdly upset me because I was like, I thought that was her signature. She had the nicest handwriting. But you know, and it was just such, I had the t-shirt back in the day. Yeah. That visual was so, and I'm like, yeah. fucking say did that. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, what that, logo did you not do? Graffiti training 101. Like, my whole idea was I have to be able to perfect what I'm doing so I can do anything. Right. And, I you know I I got that idea from Anita Baker. I would always look at her albums and I thought I need to master brush script and and hand styles and I, I have to create a, a, a strong identity for women as well. I was you know ahead of the curve on this. All right, and blessings. I was thinking <laughs> about that, and you know the other day I was also looking at. Um, a logo designer did for Shirley Horn, the jazz legend. And I thought, man, you know, I've had a lot of interesting opportunities to do things that people don't even know about. We didn't even scratch the surface. Like, I've worked with Gil Scott Heron. I've worked with Howard Schultz from Starbucks. I've worked with Magic Johnson. Like, so many people you wouldn't even know. And it's just one of those things where there's just not enough time in the day to get into all of this. Well... When I had my my store gallery, you had a show, and when you were putting up these um, small collages of logos, I thought, why don't you sort of reproduce some of your own logos? You should do a show of all your sort of like unknown, forget the bangers that yeah, everybody yeah. knows that it's are like It's a really mass. good idea, I have to say, because there's so many artists that have come and gone that have a fan base, but I sort of forget because I'm just busy doing whatever I'm doing. Right, and you're on to the next. Yeah, and then you, you meet somebody and go, oh, yeah, I remember that group. You designed us. Like, yeah, you know, oh, you know who they are? I was like, yeah. okay, there's one person I could talk to. Right. <laughs> no, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to um, see both these books and yeah. – Really, anything that you're working on, oh, I you. I want to know about. Good. And, well, um, maybe you'll actually come to the studio one day. I'm just right there in Dumbo. I'm 
don't go to Brooklyn. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I try my best not to go anywhere, don't basically. go to. <laughs> I just, I have like an aversion to Brooklyn. Right. I do because it just, ugh. I'll put a blindfold on you. I know, I know, I know. One day, one day. And no, believe no. me, it doesn't look like the Brooklyn that you have an aversion to. It's no, Disneyland. That's what, that's the aversion I have is right. the yuppies. Okay. It's like the, the gentrifiers. Like I yeah, just do don't. Dumbo, man? <laughs> Dumbo you know, is wild. The thing is like, you know, everybody's complaining about that person, but the reality is that we are all that person. Like New York has of gotten course. to that point where even the people that have infiltrated are complaining about the people that are here now. I was like, hey, aren't you the guy that displaced us back in the day? And now you're being displaced and you're complaining? I know. (laughs) When I saw when people were freaking out about Amazon in Astoria, I was like, these are the fucking gentrifiers. Like, freaking out that somebody's coming to gentrify them. Like, fuck off. But... But you it, know, it, New York it, it just evolves. It evolves. Yeah. But there's, I think there's going to be a big crash. The prices are going to come down, and it's going to get, like, a little bit grimy. Which I don't I'm looking forward will. to it. You I don't? I don't think it will. I think it just keeps going. Like, if, if you just think about how much money certain people are making, now to be a millionaire is not a big deal. It's mm. to be a billionaire. There used to be a time where, like, you didn't even say the word billionaire because there was, like, one of them. Right. Yeah. A billionaire. There weren't like tons of billionaires, but what's going to happen is that these sort of these people that have these micro economies, right? The the people that are making high five figures that um, are paying for maids and drivers and takeout and restaurants and all that stuff, like they're going to get hit, and then that trickles down. I to, think even if they scale down. They could still live a very comfortable life, you know, and you're not going to see them on the subway anytime soon. I'm not worried about it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they they always say that that's coming. I mean, have you ever seen a crash where rich people were really feeling it? You know, know right? They were like shopping and on Fifth Avenue with like brown paper bags, so nobody would know that where they were going. But like, yeah, it wasn't really like affecting them. Yeah, you know. I I mean, I will say that it is really sad though when you see a block of of stores and they're all closed. And you know, in a really prominent area that used to be bubbling and it's just like This neighborhood is 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 it's bizarre because I have I not only do I not go to Dumbo, I don't go anywhere because I've, you know, I've had this leg injury for almost a year now. Um, but I guess I haven't been to like in a cab in Soho. I was sick. I'm a train person too, right? And I'm just driving, and just stores are just closed, and there's not these like like yeah. rivers of people like running down the street anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's really a, a strange thing when you see. So many businesses that have taken a hit, and the only people that that survive are the big chain stores, and because they're subsidizing with online sales, yeah, yeah. and um, you know they're able to move their physical inventory from one space yeah, from to the one other. To the and if you're small, it's yeah. it's and it, and impossible. It, it really affects culture as well because people come to New York to have that experience right. and. You, you know, like if they go to Times Square or, or you know Chinatown or 
you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, Brooklyn, they want to have that experience. They've been saving up for the longest time to come here and to do this. And if it ain't there waiting for them, you know, what, what do we have left? I mean, it's still the greatest city in the world. It still is. As much as it sucks and as much as it changes, it's still the best. You go, oh, this is where see where that thing is that looks like an awning. That used to be the awning where CBGB's was. And then yeah. people just take a picture in front of that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's the thing that's so fascinating to me about New York is that we, we rave about the history and the culture, but the dollar reigns Tear it supreme. down, baby. Yeah, they're like, they don't care. Like, okay, you know what? Great. A historical landmark. Next. Right. You know. So I was listening to a podcast with you on it about design. Okay. With this woman from Long Island, and I was feeling a kinship to her. And she was talking to you about being an African-American artist, and you said, no, I'm just an artist. Right. Don't you feel, though, like... A proud sense of of um, this being, you know, a, a black art form. I I do. Um, and, and while I'm saying that, it doesn't take anything away from, you know, my white brothers and sisters that have made um, art in the name of the culture. I just think that it's my responsibility to be an advocate for young artists of color that sort of don't know the history. And and when I was coming up, I had friends that were white, Asian, Latino, and black, and we didn't make a thing of it. It was just, you only knew it when you went into another neighborhood. Well, I was going to say, like, I feel like all of New York is like that in, in, in a... Well, it was certainly in the 70s right. and 80s. I mean, it was serious. So, like, for example, when you talk about you know, places like Sheepshead Bay um, and Bensonhurst, that was clear. You do not go there. Right. And, you know, Yusef Hawkins got killed in Bensonhurst. So it it stays with me to this day. I, you know, I had a doctor in Bensonhurst and I was like, oh, you know, and my friend was like, that was 20 years ago. And I was like, oh, you're like, I had to be reminded. But... When you were a graffiti writer, my friends had to meet us at the train station and escort us through the neighborhood if we were going into a white neighborhood. And the same thing in our neighborhood, we would meet them at the train station, and if they were with us, they were cool. And right. people would be like, yo, you know, say, who are those white boys with? They they write graffiti? And I was like, yeah, they write graffiti. And they go, okay, they're, they're cool if they were you. And it was the same thing in other neighborhoods. But you definitely didn't go alone. But don't you think it's interesting that they're, like, it's graffiti, forget about it being disproportionately male, obviously, but it's disproportionately white. You know, I I don't know what's happening now. You know, I I sort of attribute a lot of that to people that um, are taking advantage of their their circumstances, their their upbringing, whatever it is. Right, it's you know, a get over. It's pe- a it's a get over. People that for sure. that don't know how to stand up for themselves. They don't know how to write a proposal. They don't have advocates that are going to support what they're doing. They just get left out of the equation, and they don't have the the, the training to combat that. So that's why 
a lot of people of color get left out. You know, even things like in the art world, when it comes to like applying for grants, that wasn't something that, you know, people of color knew about, you know, 20 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. what, what's a grant? You know, su- successful artists that, that figure out how to crack that code learned how to navigate, you know, working with arts organizations, but that wasn't something that we were ever taught. I don't remember somebody coming to me and saying, hey, we're going to teach a course on teaching you about grant writing but do you think and that's, how to present But yourself. you think that's just because uh, black people are left out of it? I think a lot of people are left out of that. Like, that's not like... I mean, I, I only focus on, you know, what's in front of sure. me. Like, I, I can't, you know, be an advocate for all these other Right, groups. right. No, no, no. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how to get a cab to stop in 2019. <laughs> Aww. It's true. It's true. It it's is true. fucking yeah. true. So, that's so, you know, so that's, um, you know, what I think is held a lot of people back. And the same thing goes for a lot of people in in business, in, in the music business. If you didn't know how to conduct yourself in an interview, even to do art and design, that became a barrier. Unless you had a friend or an advocate that was a producer or a record company person that said, hey, so-and-so's got talent, we're going to use him. You know, the, the receptionist stops you right at the door. You're done. Right. I remember trying to get Phase 2 to do some graphic design, and he knew me, and he knew I was up at Def Jam, and he always got the green light to come up. And they would call me and say, hey, there's a guy up here that says he knows you, and his name is something too? And I was like, you know, just let him in. And then I realized it's Phase 2. And, you know, he he didn't want to be a part of the the, the 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 business system. Right, the machine. And I just said, look, just work with me because you deserve to be a part of this. And I knew that, that he was somebody that needed to be paid and paid respect to. But for whatever reason, he, he, just, he couldn't navigate those waters and and after a while i had to move on with what i was doing well i think i think it's hard for people who don't understand that like design is for commerce and they're used to doing art and it's very personal to them so being directed in a certain way well i don't want to right put that over there i don't want to right you know use these colors that's not me that's why they call it commercial Art. Uh, right. That's and, what design and, is. It's for commerce. And, you know? and, and that was one of the things that I realized very early on is that this is not about street cred. It's about having a skill set that fits a need. And I said, I'm going to use my street smarts and my graffiti skills and, and find a way to tailor that to whatever the specific task was. So when there was a need for doing a piece on a brick wall that had to be photographed on the back of an album cover, I could do that. But if it ended up being traditional graphic letter form, logo design, I could do that also. But I knew I had to figure it out because the graph part of it was always there waiting. I could have did that all day long, but the other stuff... I had to learn how to right, do. and you had to like apply it to to yeah. part of your business yeah. arsenal, and, and how to conduct yourself as a professional in a room full of people that don't give a fuck about where you came from. Right. So when you walk in there, 
you have to be on par with every other executive and conduct yourself in a professional manner if you want to succeed because they were ready for you to fail. I don't even want to tell you how many times they said, oh, yeah, the mailroom's that way, boy. And I was like, hey, I didn't say I was going to the mailroom because, yeah, I know, but the mailroom's that way. And I go, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a graphic artist. Motherfucking say Adams. (laughs) (laughs) And the fuck. Understanding that there were a lot of people that wanted you to fail. And I I, I wasn't going to have that happen because I knew where I came from. And and failure was, was not something that was an option. Well, not everybody has that perseverance. And thank God you did. And have produced this incredible body of work and um like i said you're a huge inspiration to so many thank you so much thank you yay planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So you see what I mean? Isn't yeah. he the best? Fucking amazing. I, I I mean, I've been peripherally uh, aware of him, but I did not fucking realize how much shit that guy did. I mean. And, uh, and he's, he's, he's an amazing human, too, just the way his attitude about it. He's just as cool as a goddamn cucumber. Let's get him back in here next week. Say <laughs> Adam's part two. Okay, we can You're do right. it. I mean, I will, let's, let's, own, let's dedicate the entire podcast. Can he Say, be, Can he be the third host? Totally. Do you think he like has time? He's in Miami. Uh, Busy guy. I'm not going to Miami. Busy guy. Me either. <laughs> no, no, no. We have children. No, no, no. I mean, he does too, but they're grown. Lucky. When mine are grown, I will be in Miami. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Love you. Mommy loves you. Bye. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited um, for this book. I think that. That's oh, God. Gonna, Dude, that CD set's going to be sick. It's going to be. It's really. It sounds like a brilliant project. Yeah, uh, I'm not just giving lip service. I want to check both of those out. Yeah, since you, especially because you love rap so much. I, <laughs> you know, I hate rap too, but I like that era. What do you of mean rap. I hate rap? Oh, what are I you mean, talking I'm sorry. about? I love rap. I love rap. I mean, not. I I only like nineties hip hop is one of my favorite. Like fucking, but not in the nineties. No, it wasn't in the nineties. I was. <laughs> Pure punk rock, baby. Yeah, no, no, it's true. You know, you did have, you used to have some weird Run DMC 45s. In, remember in that, apa- yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. apartment? <laughs> we used to play records back in the day. Ah, before the internet. <laughs> Those were good times. So if you want to check out uh, Say Adams, he is on Instagram at Say Adams. He is on the internet on the on his own special website, sayadams.com. And there is so much um, information to find oh, yeah. and research. Lots of good interviews out there. Dive he, in. He's he's the man. He's the genuine article. And um, I'm proud to call him a, a friend. And uh, 
He's a real inspiration. Uh, indeed. Yeah, for real. For real. So anyway, what's going on with, with your socials, Brad? Uh, yeah. Soundwag.com? You can check it out. There might be something there. Yeah? Are you posting? Probably not. (laughs) All my, like, teasing Uh, is not prompting you? I've been, I, I, yeah. I I posted a couple things. Should I make you I need to step it up. I need to step it up. I did a video from the last show. You did? Yeah, just to, just the just the logo. I need to, I need to push it, push the stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna step it up once this other show launches The kids don't look at anything but Instagram. I'm gonna kick it, I'm gonna kick it up. I'm kicking it up a notch. By the time you hear this, I may have kicked it up. All right. Check out Brad <laughs> at Soundwag, baby, and Soundwag.com. Yeah. Um, you can find me, Claudia Gold. I'm all over the net, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Just say to your device, say, hey, Alexa, bring hey, up Claudia. Who is Claudia Gold? Just say Claudia. Cla- oh, They'll Claudia. know exactly That's who like, you're talking about. Hi, Claudia. <laughs> um, yes, check out uh, Claw Money on Instagram, Clonco, clonco.com. I, too, am all over the net. You can just find me anywhere. You're filthy with digital. <laughs> I am I am down and dirty, <laughs> indeed. And we will see you guys. Oh, wait. I forgot to talk about Bubbles. Bubbles. My, the Bubbles. You know, our, our Bubbleswebsite.com. If you like those tunes, you can hear the full versions, which is worth it. Yeah. And more. Get on bubbleswebsite.com. Get on your exercise bicycle, honey. Oh, for real, yo. And bubble it up. It's upbeat. It's upbeat. It's good workout music. It it is. It's really and and it's sort of happy, right? It's happy. It has like it's a, good to just work to. Work to bubbles and you will get more work done. This has actually been scientifically proven and it's true. Effervescence makes the world go around. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, shout out to Emma, shout out to Bill, shout out to Ariel, and all the little elves that are working tirelessly to keep this podcast going on a shoestring budget. Head over to our Patreon. Give us some money. (laughs) (laughs) These Ubers are expensive. (laughs) Um, And we will be able to bring you more quality programming. Probably more frequently if we could get a little bit of um, filthy lucre. Some, yes, some um, dirty paper. (laughs) (laughs) And And thanks for listening. Yeah, and thanks for listening. If you like us, go give us some stars on iTunes. Give us some stars on iTunes, please. And we'll give you some stars on the podcast. We'll see you soon. (laughs) 